we could have gone down to one day work weeks at that point in time but <laughs> and then stayed at these nice green uh, grass farms uh, under the apple tree and thought about life or writing po poetry but that's not what happened we all moved to the cities and got more or less awful factory jobs and a lot of pollution this is Swarfcast. i'm noah graf and i'm here with my co-host lloyd graf today we're talking about robots our guest is Esben Ostergaard, founder and chief technical officer of Universal Robots. Today's podcast is brought to you by Graf Pinkert. Looking for a screw machine, rotary transfer machine, or CNC machine? Graf Pinkert's got you covered. When you're buying any used machine, you're taking a risk. So it's important to buy from someone who knows their stuff and who is going to give you straight information about what you're buying. Graf Pinkert is a family-owned firm that's been dedicated to selling great machine tools to the turn parts industry for 75 years. It specializes in the top multi-spindle brands, including Index, Schutte, Gildemeister, Tornos, ZPS, Acme, and Wickman. They also sell a variety of other types of used equipment, such as CNC Swiss, CNC turning centers, and parts washers. Machine tools are complicated. If you're going to buy one, you should go to people who are knowledgeable and committed to the industry. Learn more at www.graphpinkert.com. That's www.graffpinkert.com. I'd like to start out by understanding how in the world you got into the robotics field as a child. Uh, yeah, so um, I think most uh, kids are uh, very interested in robots and, uh, you know, there were a lot of cartoons. I think Transformers uh, was already there at that time and uh, a lot of Japanese uh, cartoons. Uh, I played a lot with Lego as a child and uh, my dad was an engineer in the Philippines and, uh, you know, one of my first attempts to make something useful was to try to build a Lego robot that could uh, pull string th strings uh, through pipes because uh, my dad was building the water supply of uh, Cebu City as an engineer for an international engineering organization oh. and as part of that they needed to pull uh, cables through pipes and they uh, chased animals through the pipes with the strings tied to their tails in order <laughs> to get those cables through so he came and home and he was like has been these stupid animals they're yeah pissing me off so can you do anything for me or how, how did that <laughs> go down i think it was more like i just tried to build something that would uh, drive through those pipes and uh, it was not super advanced it was basically i mean I, I think the lego kit i had was a tracked vehicle and then i, I made it uh, pull its own battery pack uh, with a like a trailer behind it and uh, and then that way that could actually uh, pull the cable through so it's not like a super fancy robot but it, it did open my eyes to uh, that technology can do something useful and robots can do something useful and you can say uh, then it was more or less the standard the nerd nerd uh, career path i had so i got yeah. a commodore, commodore 64 i spent all my nights and uh, and uh, evenings and weekends uh, programming uh, assembler on the commodore 64 how long until, ago was like, this uh, that, uh, that must be some time ago. It was around the time when the Commodore 64 came out. So I think I was like 12 years old, I think. I'm 44 today. So that's, uh, that's quite some time ago. Actually. 80s. Yeah, in the 80s. Um, 
And uh, yeah, sure enough, got an Amiga programmed assembly on that. Uh, did a little bit of uh, demo programming, but not a lot, and also some music. But I was also interested in uh, artificial life and, and that kind of thing. Then I got into computer science uh, and physics education mm -hmm. at uh, university, uh, which is probably the closest you could come to robots at, at that time. And uh, when uh, then I got to the senior years of my um, my master's degree, I managed to get into a course on robot football, uh, where we actually tried programming uh, f football players to, uh, you know, it, they look like uh, beer cans or something Ro like that. Ro the, robot football? Like, robot, fo uh, like soccer. Ro robot soccer, I guess, yeah, soccer, oh, for okay. uh, pushing a tennis ball into the goal of the opponent's uh, robot. And uh, we toured the world with that. We actually won the world championship uh, in our league in Paris in 1998, and we uh, also won a tournament in London and uh, so, wait, a few Danish national uh, championships. How does this uh, work? Which which part is the automated part? The automated part is the um, the strategy, you can say. So it's it's a small battery-driven robot with a. At that time, it was a linear camera, linear grayscale camera, so you could only okay. see a horizontal line and uh, infrared sensors around, you know, two wheels, uh, tank steering, uh, and then it had to push a tennis ball into the uh, opponent's goal. And then the opponent was trying to do the opposite. Uh, I also worked with uh, Lego a little bit, um, uh, both testing their Mindstorms product and uh, as, as part of that uh, whole push Lego had for... Uh, you can say for 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 construction kits with the robot technology. Tell me, uh, did Lego ever offer you a job? Uh, I actually worked for them, so yes, they did. Uh, I did work for Lego uh, during my studies. Is Lego from uh, Denmark? Yes. Yes. Okay. And did Lego ever express interest in buying your company? Universal Robots. Yes. No, no, yeah. they didn't. No, it's not their uh, thing. They make toys and uh, but yeah. isn't Lego into robotics now? I think uh, everybody's into robotics more or less. Uh, <laughs> but uh, of course, what they do is quite different from uh, what we do at Universal Robots. Yes. So well, tell, I don't tell us, think uh, it makes so much sense. Um, as I recall, uh, back around 2006, you were struggling to develop a prototype uh, yes. as a graduate student. Uh, well, um, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, I, in 2000 I graduated, and then I moved to uh, Los Angeles and worked at uh, the robotics research lab there at, uh, at uh, my Matarj and Gurf Sakatme. And in 2001 I got I started my PhD work and I moved to Japan as part of that, and then I got an assistant professorship in 2005 uh -huh. at the uh, University of Southern Denmark, and then in 2000, and uh, later 2005 we started the uh, company. Ah, universe robots and that's where we struggled so it's not see. exactly as a student but uh, okay you told uh, me you at one time you lived on crackers then yeah yeah i did that yeah <laughs> yes that, that was before that yeah i did uh, that's another story it's not so much related to robotics but in in denmark um you you actually get paid to study at the university mm -hmm. what uh, a beautiful place. so universities are free and you actually get money to go there and then of course some people th wanted more money and i had i had the thing i wanted to prove that it was definitely possible to live 
on the money that you actually got from the government uh, for going to university. So <laughs> I set out to prove that it, it's not a lot of money. It's like $500 a month uh, at that time. So it's definitely not a lot. But uh, I, I wanted to prove it's possible to live right. So I, I just went to the supermarket, did the calculation of where is the cheapest calorie in the supermarket. <laughs> and uh, and I know the body is like a six, 60-watt machine approximately. So I, I figured out how many uh, joules I needed uh, per day. And uh, um, then I found out that some kind of margarine is uh, very, very cost effective. You can see it calories and I started eating that. It didn't go too well with my digestive system. So <laughs> I, I had to change strategy uh, sometimes. What were you eating? Well, a sort of what? It's, it's like a, a grease in blocks, uh, margarine or margarine. Oh, margarine. Yeah, margarine, yeah. I, see, I was thinking that it was because you just wanted to save time. And so you would just eat that stuff and... <laughs> yeah, no. Um, it was, no, it was just an experiment. experiment uh, yeah, and then <laughs> later I found out that actually the university magazine had, uh, you know, they, there's always some professor, uh, you know, getting a tenureship or something like that with uh, some uh, small reception. So I, I always went to these receptions <laughs> and ate as much food as I could uh, before they would figure out I was there. And then uh, I've, you know, there are two ways you can feel uh, full. One is that the, the stomach stretches and the other, other one is that blood sugar rises. So the stretching of the stomach um, happens when you eat uh, roughly one kilo of food because it's kind of the, the, the amount of food you can have in your stomach. And the blood sugar rises around 20 minutes after you um, you start eating. So if you eat fast, then you can cheat that blood sugar thing. So if you just eat very fast, you can cheat that. And you can cheat the other thing by gulping down a lot of water approximately two hours before you eat. But then you can stretch the stomach so it's already stretched when you go for the buffet at that reception. Um, so so I did the various things to try to uh, uh, save money, you can see. <laughs> and now you have plenty of money. Yes. I know this is a, a, a diversion from what we were originally going to talk about, but uh, from living on crackers, how has your life changed now? Um, so I don't need to worry about uh, money anymore. Uh, actually, I didn't need to worry about that either at that time. I just wanted to prove that uh, it was possible to live uh, from that. And uh, I did manage to uh, save up actually some money during that year. I, I tried to prove my point. Huh. Um, but uh, yeah, so my life hasn't changed that much. I'm still uh, working every day in Universe Robots. I'm still uh, driving my car to work. I live in the same house, so it hasn't changed that much, actually. So in a very brief period, uh, your business went uh, virtually from a prototype to a product uh, to selling out for potentially a large sum of money. Give us, uh, tell us how you proved uh, the viability of the product and then what happened after that. Yeah, so we spent these three years uh, in the university project room developing our, our product. We completely ran out of money at that time, so there we were really struggling with the money. Um, and uh, by some uh, accident, uh, there was this uh, investment uh, company that uh, took the wrong door at the university and they found us. And they <laughs> they uh, they decided to invest. Uh, but 
uh, we were nerds, they could see that clearly. So they, they would put a professional um, businessman, you can say, to manage us, and and so they did. So after a lot of negotiation, we we assigned that contract. We didn't have a chance basically because we had absolutely no more money. We knew we had the right product, but we didn't have uh, the the means to to make it uh, happen because it was completely unrealistic to just. We, our plan was to sell some, and then for that money, you say buy more parts and then sell some more. We it's now know that yeah. we needed to get to around 25 per month before it was really a good business, before we could have all the people required to have the flow of goods and all that. But So it wasn't realistic to start that uh, with basically our own, our own savings. But uh, since, since that business uh, chapter started, you can say we had the product, we had no more money. We got investors. They invested the, the money needed to grow distribution network and starting building the production. And then once we reached this approximately 25 uh, units per month, we were actually cash flow positive. And, uh, and from there on, it was just organic growth. Uh, so we managed to grow by our own means from that uh, point and then uh, till today, actually. Okay, tell us the concept. The concept uh, uh, of the what is now called the Cobot. But when you developed it, it didn't have a name. No. So we could see that the, the traditional robots we had, they're kind of born in the automotive environments, uh, welding cars together. Mm-hmm. They're extremely good at that, but um, there's a lot of other industry. And industry outside the automotive world, they typically have uh, smaller batch production, they have higher variety, and they have uh, less people. You can say less specialized people on the, sh- on the factory floors. They mm-hmm. can't have robot programmers hired, basically. And th- there was a big need for robots also in that, that uh, kind of industry, but the products on the market when we started were not well suited to cater those needs. And that's why we thought we would make a robot that was easy to mo- move around, lightweight, uh, safe to be around, and easy to program. And, uh, and that would allow a whole new range of tasks to be automated with robots that were not possible with the uh, traditional robots. Uh, so that's why we made this, you can say, small, lightweight, easy to program robot that uh, that we have today. And sure enough, that really opened an enormous potential for automation that is probably bigger than the potential for all the traditional robots uh, mm-hmm. combined. Mm-hmm. And when we can beginning, we're beginning to see the impact of, of this today. So uh, uh, a few weeks ago, we had the uh, Automatica. That's also where I got uh, the Engelberg Award uh, ceremony uh, in Munich, Germany. And mm-hmm. we actually had most robots uh, on that uh, fair, which is, I think, pretty, pretty cool. It's the world's biggest ro- robotics fair, and we had most robots there. And I think that's great because we are such a young company. And... Um, so we have, we have, I think, changed the, the industry. Oh, no question about it. I think you've definitely, in America, you've definitely changed the way smaller companies uh, view the potential for robots or this kind of device to, to help production. But where else do you see it uh, developing besides the factory floor? Um, the biggest potential now is still the factory floor, but that, then the factory floor outside the uh, the body shops of the automotive factories. Oh. Um, so that, that's where the other robots are really good. 
we are we our type of robots is really good in the you can say more higher variety type of manufacturing of the tier ones and tiers, tier twos um and then you know by making robots more flexible more easy to move around it also opens up uh, potential applications outside uh, the factories and that's probably your question so we do see robots being used in a lot of you can say adjacent areas to manufacturing uh, some are in restaurants some are in uh, hospitals um, there's also rehabilitation wow. and uh, facial therapy that kind of thing massages uh, there's uh, a company specializing in landing airplanes with our robot, so it's a co-pilot in the really? actually sitting in the co-pilot seat. Wow. Um, what is the co-pilot yeah. robot doing? It's landing the airplane. I think in case of the pilot being, being unconscious or something like that, uh, I think you'd have to call them to figure out exactly what it's doing. Um, and I think the the whole business case there, it's so hard to go into those old systems inside the, the cockpit that it's easier to put a robot in the seat to pull all the handles and levers. Uh, but you'd have to call them and get the exact story there. But it, it's pretty cool to see. And for me, it's, of course, super cool because uh, I had not seen that coming when we started. No. Um, we have them in bars. Often when I go to the movies, I see our robots used in uh, different scenes, often as some kind of a villain. Uh, <laughs> but it's still very interesting to see that they, in science fiction movies, they don't need to dress our robots up to look like future. They are kind of already the future, the way they look, so they're not uh, dressed up in any way. They just have their blue caps and their aluminum tubes. That must and be amazing to see your product doing something that you didn't even yes, it plan really for is. it to do. It's, uh, it's really amazing to see what it can do and what we've opened up for. And, and I think it, it's a testimony to, to human ingenuity that if we make a tool that allows people to do things with that tool, then, you know, there's so much you can do with the, with automation. And there's so many things that I had not imagined. And I think it's because we've made a, a, true, a true tool for people to use. Esben, yeah, do you have children? I have uh, three children, yes. And are they interested in robotics? Well, uh, not enough, actually. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> My son, he likes uh, soccer. And uh, no, not, not that much, actually. They're not... Uh, I have I've done something wrong there. <laughs> Maybe the mother? Is she in... Is, is your wife into science? Uh, no. Uh, no. I think you told me when you sold out to uh, Teradyne that... The only thing that you bought that uh, really changed your life was a Steinway piano. Is that right? Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's a, a Bechstein piano, but uh, but it's similar. Uh, yeah, that's what I bought. I, I always wanted a piano, so um, uh, yeah, I bought that. It's it's a little bit um, too big actually for my living room. I mean, the sound <laughs> is uh, is too rich. You can say to to really make sense in a living room. But yeah, it's, I always wanted that, so now I had the chance, and then uh, I went and bought it. How do you? And feel? actually, recently also got a very nice uh, Tesla. So also oh, a Tesla. Just to, yeah, with the biggest uh, Ludicrous Plus upgrade and all that. So it's uh, <laughs> that's kind of a lot of fun too. What what? So back to the shop floor. Do you do you see these robots? Pe people are replacing their more expensive robots with your robot. 
No, I actually don't think there is a competition between uh, traditional robots and our robots. Um, all right. Well, the tell the audience, robots, yeah, exactly. Yeah. What the what what the where each one fits in. Yeah. So as as I was talking about before, the traditional robots are made for the uh, for doing the same thing over and over again uh, every single day, seven hours, no, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, seven years in a row, more or less, because seven years is the typical. Uh, We'd say product life in the uh, car factories. Hmm. That's how long they produce a, a given model. And that's where robot technology has grown up. Uh, you know, robot, uh, industrial robot technology has grown up. There is so much manufacturing happening outside this environment, and they need uh, easy uh, redeployability, ease of use, because they're not producing the same thing seven years in a row. Uh, you could say a laptop or a phone is only produced three months, four months, and then you need to readjust the whole factory line. Uh, and traditional robots are not the best at that. So by making a robot that's more like a tool that helps people do their work, we enable a new kind of automation. So first of all, you can say we have this concept of incremental automation, which is that you can actually put in robots to incrementally automate an assembly line or a production line. You don't need to automate the whole line in one mm -hmm. go because mm -hmm. the robot is lightweight. You can just put it in there. It has safety functions, so you don't necessarily need a big uh, fence around the robot. And it, it you, that means you can say this worst workstation can be automated. Typically, where there is some process, you want to have a high consistency in that process. Then it makes a lot of sense to put a robot in there. Or if you have a machine and you want a higher uptime up of that uh, machine, because the robot never, you know, takes a break and is always ready to take the next part, then it also makes a lot of sense to, to put in a robot. Mm -hmm. um, but but you can still have the other manual workstations in between. So that's the incremental automation uh, approach, which opens up a lot of new uh, potential for what can be automated. The, another interesting uh, concept we, we are talking about is this bottom-up automation that it's not a top-down decision. We want to automate this whole factory. It's actually the people on the line who can think about things that can be automated, mm -hmm. and, and they uh, can, you can say, uh, do automate their own work instead of some management decision yes. to replace them with robots. And then you move the ownership of automation down to the factory floor, and you make them become the robot programmers, robot integrators. Ah, that's fast. And that's also uh, super valuable. So that, that I don't know if you have looked at our website, but that one of the uh, tools we have made to make this happen is what we call the UR Academy, which is an um, online training platform where you can go in and you can uh, you can try uh, you can you can actually train yourself to be a robot programmer. You get a certificate. You can show that certificate to your boss or whoever is interested, and it, it kind of shows that you can use the robot. You're probably not a you can say an expert programmer after these uh, typically 88 minute uh, course, but uh, you are able to understand the robot and do simple things with the robot, enough to maybe automate simple tasks or adjust existing programs, and and that's of course super powerful because then these machines that are working now these people that are working like robots today, they are the ones we can make into robot programmers. Mm -hmm. And actually, these people, they are experts in their materials or in their processes. Yes. So so they are the ones who should be the robot right. programmers instead of working like robots. So the, the, the typical thinking of a factory owner could be that he wants robots so he can cut, you know, uh, cut people. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, fewer fewer people working there means less salary and robots will replace that. That's the typical way of thinking. But that's kind of a shame because these people are probably experts in the materials, the products and the processes. And it, it's kind of wrong to replace them with robots. It's basically uh, this system integrator company that comes in there, they might not fully understand the actual uh, gluing process very well or what it does to the end uh, product. So if we make robots that allow people working on the factory floors to, to be robot programmers, we actually harvest some of all that knowledge they have and they can put that into the robot programming. And suddenly they become experts and they're part of the whole, uh, you can say, value chain. Yes, you and, flip it uh, all around. We flip it all around, yes. Which And we know in the end um, uh, automation grows the business. So we, we do see that when our customers buy a lot of robots, they actually end up hiring more people because really? the automation grows their business. Yes, we, that's, I mean, when you think about it, it's not so odd because mm-hmm. it grows the business. When you have a bigger business, you need more people. That's that's typically how, how it works. Um, and then you can say the traditional way of thinking is then we need more high-end people, like we need more marketing uh, experts or uh, some other top, top engineers. Um, and then we need fewer, uh, you can say, blue-collar workers working like robots. Right. And that way of thinking, of course, uh, skews the society. There's not enough. Uh, there's not enough highly educated people in one end, and you will have an over a, a surplus of people in the other end. So what the right thing to do is to move the whole chain upwards, and uh, simply educating people all along the the path. And I think microeducation is kind of a way forward to do that. And uh, that's why we have this uh, academy uh, on our website. And we can see it's working. So a lot of uh, big uh, companies are actually now uh, ma- giving this training, this uh, Your Academy module, as mandatory training for their uh, new uh, line workers. So they become robot programmers. Uh, and I don't know if you, I said the number already, but we have uh, 33,000 uh, certified robot programmers from the academy uh, to date. 33,000. So yeah, so it's, it's kind of really taking off, yeah, and it's yes. working. We can see that. And we, the other point is we do see that the uh, companies buying a lot of our robots, they actually end up hiring more people because it grows the business. So, uh, Is there a uh, cost to the, uh, uh, for the course? Uh, cost? No, it's, it's free online. Uh-huh. Do you see that, though, that eventually robots are going to become so sophisticated that you won't need to hire a another uh, an actual person to program so I, them i'm pretty I'm sure you convinced get this question that every day w- but. Yeah, yeah and i'm pretty convinced work will not disappear and uh, i think the main argument for me is that uh, we are already all uh, not really working anymore so this interview here i mean you're sitting with your skype uh, recording equipment and i'm talking about uh, more or less crazy stuff and for us this is actually work so if you if you go some few hundred years back and you take a typical worksman from from that time and you bring him to a mod- modern office and ask him to look around, he would not be able to identify a single person working, <laughs> and and he is not able to recognize work today. So for most of us, work is you know getting in our car, buying a coffee, driving to an office, uh, talking in the phone, typing in the keyboard, and then uh, driving back again, uh, and th- that is what work has become. So it's it's changed so much that it's not recognizable anymore. If you go a few hundred years back, that's true. And and similarly, I don't think uh, work in the future will be recognizable by us today. Mm. 
But on the other hand, I'm pretty convinced it will not disappear because uh, already in the first industrial revolution, we had, you know, so many, um, we had so many people changing what work was. Uh, most people had their parents' farm. Then we had uh, uh, harvesting machines and windmills and water mills who automated most of the work involved in uh, providing food for the population, which freed up 90% of the workforce to do other things. We could have gone down to one-day work weeks at that point in time but, <laughs> and then stayed at these nice green uh, grass farms uh, under the apple tree and thought about life or writing po poetry. But that's not what happened. We all moved to the cities and got more or less awful factory jobs and a lot of pollution. And you can wonder why did we do that? And I think it's because we're driven to do something with our lives. We're, we're driven to move forward. <coughs> I don't think we're able to not work. And I think we'll just find uh, work for ourselves uh, as, as this uh, evolves. Uh, and uh, yeah, so that's my view on it. Uh, if if we would have been replaced by robots, it would have already happened in that uh, first industrial revolution. Huh. Thank you. And so I want to go back to your your children. Hmm? What uh, do you recommend that they should do to prepare themselves for the work ten years from now? Yeah. So I I think this paradigm of starting life, taking education, and then that's what you are, that's going to be challenged a lot. Uh, I don't think you can uh, study to become a lawyer or a doctor and then just expect that's what you're going to do the rest of your life. Mm -hmm. So I, th I believe lifelong learning, uh, micro-educations, uh, and the ability to adapt and, and change uh, your work is the key to having a successful work life in the future. And how would you urge them or help them to develop that mindset uh, that's a good question how old are your kids uh, i think they are the oldest is 14. Oh, okay i i think just uh, general curiosity is um is probably the, the best way hey everybody first we just want to say thank you to all of the people listening to this podcast you guys are the hip folks the early adopters. You make this thing worth doing. But it would be really great if you could subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. And even better, give us a rating. It'll just take a second and it'll help other people discover it. Talk to you next week.